six of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we look at individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, Hall of Famers, if you will. Today we're looking at someone you may consider a surprising entry into this uh, sort of Hall of Fame, uh, Roy Rogers. This podcast lends itself to be evergreen, but I'm going to inject just a tiny bit of currency into today's episode. As I'm recording this episode, we're approaching Father's Day 2020, so I'm going to dedicate this episode to my dad. My dad grew up watching Roy Rogers on the silver screen in small town South Carolina in the 1950s, dreaming, I'm sure, of being a Wild West cowboy himself. My dad has helped me and my family a lot through the years, and it's with that in mind that I'm dedicating this special episode of Giants of the Faith to you, Dad. I hope you enjoy it. Roy Rogers was an American actor, singer, and entertainer, and one of the most popular of the great silver screen cowboys from the mid-20th century. He was one of the great singing cowboys, who also happened to be a Christian. He, along with his wife, Dale Evans, was able to work his faith into his career, and they were able to use their fame as a platform that allowed them to make a difference in the lives of countless others. Roy Rogers was born Leonard Sly on November 5, 1911, in Cincinnati, Ohio, to parents Andrew and Mattie Sly. I want to make a point here that even though his name was Leonard, he went by the diminutive Lynn, I'm going to use Roy throughout this podcast for the sake of simplicity. When he was a baby, Roy and his family lived in a block of flats, that eventually was torn down to be replaced by the old Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Uh, Riverfront Stadium, you may recall, housed professional sports teams like the Cincinnati Reds and even semi-pro teams like the Cincinnati Bengals. When Roy was a wee lad, his father built a houseboat and moved the family onto it. They traveled up and down the rivers in Ohio on their boat, and eventually they purchased some farmland in Portsmouth, Ohio, where Andrew planned to build a home to raise his family. In a fortunate for Roy's family anyway, set of circumstances, the Great Flood of 1913 happened. Now, the Great Flood of 1913, in case you aren't familiar with it, affected rivers throughout the American Midwest, causing them to overflow their banks after days and days of heavy rain and runoff. Cities and towns across the Midwest were flooded. Eventually, a quarter of a million folks were left without homes and over 600 people died. It's one of the great forgotten tragedies in American history. So while it was tragic, the flood actually allowed Roy's family to move their houseboat onto the high ground property that they'd purchased. After a few years of landlocked houseboat living, Roy's father purchased a farm in the Lucasville, Ohio area. It was here that young Roy learned to ride a horse and to yodel, two skills that would serve him well in later life. He and his family actually used yodels to communicate across the distances of the farm. While Roy was in high school, His family moved back to Cincinnati, where Roy and his father worked different blue-collar jobs to support the family. During this time, his sister Mary got married and moved to California. Roy visited her for months at a time and eventually persuaded the family to move to California to be near his sister. Unfortunately, this was the middle of the Great Depression. Work was scarce, although Roy did eventually find work for Del Monte picking peaches, and he lived in a company work camp. Kind of like uh, The Grapes of Wrath, if you've read the book or seen the movie. While in California, his sister Mary encouraged him to sing on a local radio program called Midnight Frolic. He reluctantly appeared on the show, and that led him to landing a place with the band The Rocky Mountaineers. From 1931 to 1935, 
Roy had varying success as a musician with several local bands. In 1932, Roy met Lucille Ascalese, whom he would marry in 1933. 1932 was a big year for the Rogers, as that's the same year he acquired the Palomino Colt that he named Trigger. Roy's relationship with Trigger lasted longer than the one with Lucille, as the couple were divorced in 1936. Lucille was just tired of the musician lifestyle. Roy's second wife, Grace, and he were married in June 1936. The couple adopted a daughter, Cheryl, in 1941, and then had two more children, Linda Lou in 1943 and Roy Jr. in 1946. Unfortunately, Grace died from complications arising from the birth of Roy Jr. Now, Roy began acting in Western movies in 1935, and in 1938 he caught his big break when he won a contest to become the next singing cowboy. It was then that he took on the stage name Roy Rogers at the request of the studio so he'd sound more cowboy-like. He became a mainstay in westerns and a competitor to the biggest star of the day, Gene Autry. In 1944, he met actress Dale Evans, that's a woman by the way, during the filming of San Fernando Valley. He and Dale would reconnect after Grace's death and were married on December 31, 1947 at a ranch in Oklahoma. That's kind of a whirlwind overview of Roy's early life and career. All of it is fine, but it doesn't really frame Rogers as a giant of the faith in the way that the people we've looked at and talked about in previous episodes are. We'll shortly see that Christian faith does become very dear to him, and I think he's an important example to us that our heroes of the faith don't have to be theologians, preachers, or missionaries. They can be men or women who take their faith sincerely held and make the most of it with whatever talents and giftings that God has given them. They can be people who have an impact and do their best to advance the kingdom of God wherever they are. In the same way, we can do our best to advance the kingdom, no matter where we are in life. Now, by Roger's own telling, it was his wife, Dale, that led him to faith. Roy wasn't a religious man and hadn't grown up in the church. Dale was a Christian, however, and soon after their marriage, she had recommitted her life to Christ. She'd been married three times previously, with each marriage ending in divorce. She felt that she hadn't lived the faith that she'd claimed, and with the help of her son Tommy, she rededicated herself to her faith and committed to living for Christ. Once she made this commitment, Dale began introducing her faith to Roy and his children. She started bringing the children to church and she began the practice of saying grace at meals. She instituted a way of saying grace where they'd go around the table and each family member would add one line to the prayer. It was with this simple practice of dinnertime grace that she introduced prayer into Roy's life. Roy told the story of how Dale added Bible reading to their routine. He said, One night before going to bed, I noticed a new book on my reading table. Where did this come from, I asked, picking up a copy of the Bible. Ah, since you lost your old one, I bought it for you this morning, Dale said brightly. She knew that I had never had a copy of the Bible, but what can you do with a woman whose mind is made up? One Saturday night, after an argument with Dale over a misunderstanding they had at a party they were hosting, the faith became real to Roy. In his own words, I stood looking out our bedroom window. I thought about my responsibilities to my family, and it occurred to me that any financial provisions I might be able to leave for my children would someday be gone. The fame of being a movie star wouldn't last forever. I want the kids to remember me for something special, something that matters. I want them to remember me as a daddy who took them to church on Sundays, 
and help them learn how to live a good Christian life. The next morning, as Dale was preparing to take the children to Sunday school and church, I came downstairs and informed her, If you're going to church, I'm going with you. As we sat in the service, I bowed my head for a long time, thinking about the decision I should make. At the invitation, I sat up and I turned to Dale. Mama, I'm going down there. I did go, accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. Roy's faith didn't come on in a lightning bolt type experience like Martin Luther, or through an emotional appeal like Amy Simple McPherson's. Rather, it grew over time through regular attendance at church, reading a few passages from the Bible, saying grace. I think that's what's so great about Roy Rogers' story. He grew into faith just like millions of others. There's no special grace for the rich or famous. Faith comes by hearing the word, and Rogers' testimony bears that out. He and his daughter Cheryl were baptized on Palm Sunday, 1948. Roy and Dale traveled around the country singing and performing in front of thousands. Now, most of their catalog was your stock-on-trade cowboy and western music. But, against the wishes of their management team, they were sure to include religious music in each performance. Once, they were scheduled to perform at the World Rodeo Championships at Madison Square Garden in New York City. New York City? The hosts threatened to cancel the contract if Roy and Dale didn't agree to skip their religious numbers. This was a huge payday for them, but they stood firm. Eventually, management relented and the show went on as planned and was a huge success. Roy's faith played a huge role in everything he did from there on out. Roy sponsored the Roy Rogers Writers Club as a youth organization that would meet at movie theaters. Their meetings opened with a cowboy prayer, which went like this. Oh Lord, I reckon I'm not much just by myself. I fail to do a lot of things I ought to do. But Lord, when trails are steep and passes high, help me to ride it straight the whole way through. And in the falling dusk, get the final call. I do not care how many flowers they send. Above all else, the happiest trail would be for you to say to me, that's right, my friend. Amen. Roy's riders had a set of rules called the Ten Commandments of the Cowboy, among which was rule number nine, which was love God and go to Sunday school regularly. It was important to Roy to encourage the faith of children everywhere. He told of one of the letters he received from one of his writers. A little boy wrote to ask if it's sissy to go to Sunday school. Roger's response? It certainly is not. Going to Sunday school and church is one of the greatest privileges we have. I only wish I had been smart enough to know this earlier in my life. Rogers sought to connect children to the God that made them. This is of the utmost importance to him. Roy and Dale had only one biological child born to them both. Daughter Robin was born in 1950 and was diagnosed with Down syndrome. Roy and Dale were encouraged to put away Robin and place her in a home. They refused, and they raised her until her unfortunate death at 23 months old. Roy and Dale used her life and death as an opportunity to help others in similar situations. Dale wrote the book Angel Unaware from Robin's Perspective in Heaven. Angel Unaware helped change attitudes toward children born with special needs by presenting them as expressions of God's pure love. The book used Christian attitudes toward the sacredness of all life to shine a light on those most vulnerable people, and is one of the Rogers' greatest lasting legacies. Roy sought to foster a love of and respect for God in everything he did throughout the remainder of his career. He and Dale would often perform at Billy Graham's Crusades. 
They made countless visits to children in hospitals across the country, adopted and fostered several children through the years. Roy and Dale remained true to their God until their deaths. Roy died of heart failure on July 6, 1998, and Dale died a few years later, also of heart failure, on February 7, 2001. They've left behind them a legacy of faith through their example and through the lives they touched through the years, and I think that's enough to earn them the title of Giants of the Faith. Well, that's the end of another episode of Giants of the Faith. I hope you enjoyed this look at a man who wasn't a theologian or a missionary or any of the typical things that we associate with Christian greatness. What he was was a man blessed with talent and fame, and he used those to spread God's love as best he could, starting in his own family and beyond. I hope you're encouraged to live out your own faith to the utmost through stories like this one about Christians that have gone before us. That's what the Giants of the Faith podcast is all about. Please send along any comments or corrections, or even anyone you'd like to see featured in a future episode to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. And until next time, thanks for listening and God bless.